Uh, welcome to another episode of the CaliCast. I'm your host, Gron. I'm joined by my co-host, Sheikh Tariq. Let's get into it. Let's do it. How are you, Sheikh? I'm well, man. How are you? Alhamdulillah. I think I'm going to be in big trouble when I get home. Oh, why is that? Because coming in today, uh, I usually take my mom or my dad's car, whichever one's available. But never my grandpa's because he has a little sporty red Mazda. Yeah. And every time he says, do not take it out, do not take it out, do not take it out. And for months, I haven't touched it or used it without a parent permission or his permission. But for months, he thinks I keep taking it out when it's either my brother or my sister or my mom or my dad. For legitimate reasons, too, because oh, there's no other car in the house or whatever. And every time he yells at me thinking, oh, I take it out. I just like uh, mm. racing it all. And then today I was like, oh, damn, there's no other cars. So then I was thinking like, eh. <laughs> Let's go with it, man. You got <laughs> to do what you got to do. Right? So it's like justifiable. There's so, a podcast to do. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I slowly open his room. He's sleeping. He turns. It's almost like those movie scenes where you're like, you're afraid <laughs> if you make a single noise. Tiptoe, 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 grab the keys and run back out. And yeah. That's funny. Um, you know, every time I see uh, that Mazda, that, that, that model, driving by, I look inside to see if it's your grandfather. And one time I actually saw him. He was zooming back <laughs> past traffic. <laughs> yep, that's him. It's quite yeah. funny. So, how old is your grandpa? He's like he lived through World War One and Two, so he's definitely yeah, up there. World War One? Yeah, he was alive at that time. I know. I was shocked too. And then he was like, "Don't be shocked." It's over a hundred years. No. Yeah. World War One. World War One was okay. Then I think he's ninety-six. Ninety-six. He's definitely up there. I'm pretty sure he lived through World War One because he told me. Maybe he was like one when he was in World War One. Wow. Shalom to Allah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, speaking of family and my how my grandpa's gonna beat me when I get home, like uh, we all know about like rights in Islam and mm -hmm. how people have rights over you and vice versa. But I never really. I'm sure most of us we don't really know what the, those rights are. Right. So, for example, does my grandpa have a right of me, and what are those rights? And well, there's kind of the, the general way of looking at the general uh, rights. Um, and that is the right of a human being over another human being. Right? And that includes um, that we don't oppress, that we don't attack, uh, that we... Uh, so, really, really those two. Mm -hmm. um, now, that is with a human being and another human being. And this is what pretty much any, any successful or stable government is going to uh, enforce. Hopefully. Yeah. And successful, right? Anything that is stable. Mm -hmm. Because a country might not be successful, but it's stable. Uh, and so they'll enforce these two things. And that's what pretty much um, all of law revolves around, or at least punitive law, uh, to the preservation of, of rights, which include the, the right to live and the right of wealth, you know, a person's money and whatnot, includes property, etc. Uh, now, with its between a Muslim and another Muslim, regardless of their relationship to you, are they your sibling? Are they your your uncle, your neighbor, or just any random Muslim you pass by? Uh, that the Prophet ﷺ tells us that every Muslim has uh, five responsibilities towards their other Muslim. In other words. We, a Muslim, has five rights over every single other Muslim. Um, uh, hopefully I can remember this. One is, uh, if they are ill, that a group of Muslims goes and visits the person. If they die, that a group of Muslims do the proper uh, procedures of burial, to wash the body, pray the janazah, 
uh, bury the body, etc. Doesn't have to be every Muslim, but a group of Muslim. Um, if if they sneeze, then someone tells them, "Yarhamukum Allah." Right? That is a right of the believer. Uh, if they, what are the other two? Yeah, there's two more. Salam will, will come to mind. Um, yes, if they if they give salam, that the, the salam is returned. And then the fifth one, uh, it's, it's, it'll probably come to me. There's one more. Mm -hmm. So that is the right of every Muslim over another Muslim. Now, the more, the closer the, uh, the closer the relationship gets, then the more responsibilities there are. And so you have what's called the uh, qaraba and the uh, jiwar, neighbors, and you have those who are your relatives, cousins, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have additional rights. Why? Because of that closeness. Uh, so the neighbor has the right that you do not um, spy on them. You do not look at the things they're doing in the, within their private vicinity. That you don't spread the news of what goes on. Because unlike the way you know, homes are structured here in the West, back in the day, I mean, people were living side by side, side by side. And when you look at the, the rendering of the uh, the prophetic society or the Mecca even before the time of the Prophet والسلام, how it looked I mean you had alleys but pretty small man you could fit maybe one two people in that alley that's it and you had windows in these homes and so you can hear conversations going on in, in other homes uh, and so the, the right of the neighbors that you kind of preserve their, their secrets and, and whatnot uh, now when it comes to relatives cousins etc you have the concept of Sirat al-Arham, maintaining ties of kinship, which is primarily on the, uh, the shoulders of men, that the male, a male has responsibilities to uh, check up on their, their aunts, their uncles, um, their siblings, uh, etc. And so that there's that additional uh, responsibility there. Uh, and then the most responsibility goes, goes towards our parents. And our p grandparents are kind of, you know, huh? they're a branch of that. Mm -hmm. But the, the people who have most right over us are our parents um, to an extent, right? It's not always as black and white as, it's, as I'm making it seem right now. Uh, but parents have a lot of emphasis in the Quran, as, as is well known. Uh, and they have a lot of rights. Now, you can go two ways in this conversation now. You can talk about why they have those rights, right? In terms of what they have done for us. And thus, it's not just that Allah is commanding us to be good to random people, but rather He's commanding us to be good to those who have sacrificed a lot. Mm -hmm. And only parents know this. And that's why once children get married and have kids, they begin to appreciate their parents more because they say, oh, wow, my parents did this with me. Um, and so it becomes a little bit more clear cut. But where I, where I want to talk about it, maybe just a little bit more, is in terms of um, the importance of a family structure, right? Uh, and that is in our Western society, the more left it becomes in its thought process, or at least the culture becomes more and more left. Uh, and let's face it, even though you have the, the right-wingers who are becoming more right, mm -hmm. uh, culture in America is really left. It's not as bad as Europe, um, it's not as left as Europe and liberal as Europe, but nonetheless, it, it's becoming more and more liberal. Uh, and so when you look at Hollywood, when you look at the media, when you look at uh, music, when you look at just culture in general, and we here in Southern California, I mean, we have the 
the most left of, yeah. of America, I believe. Uh, or at least the West Coast is, is the more left. Um, uh, you have these liberal principles. Now, Islam is never with or without, uh, with or against. Right? When it comes to these Western ideologies, we need to be very careful in that regard. Uh, but, you know, there are some liberal values, so to speak. I'm using this in kind of the most uh, ideological use of the term liberal. Uh, that Islam is kind of, huh? There's some overlap with Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, this includes, for example, um, citizenship. Right? This concept of you are a citizen, thus you have rights. Now, that, that is technically a liberal, uh, part of liberal ideology. What's called the uh, uh, consent that, is a li that came from liberal European thought. The concept of um, consent and the concept of um, citizenship, we said that. Um, so these are coming from the, the notion that you being part of this land or part of this society by default gives you rights. Okay? So in Islam, you know, there's some overlap. You as a, as a, as a citizen of the Islamic State, you have rights. Uh, and even if you're not a Muslim, you still retain almost all of those rights. There are some slight variations. For example, when it comes to inherent inheritance, um, a non-Muslim does not inherit a Muslim when they die. Um, a female Muslim cannot marry a male Muslim. Uh, so there are slight variations. But nonetheless, when it comes to is general... A Muslim cannot marry a male Muslim? Or is it... No, no. A, a female Muslim cannot marry... Uh, a non-Muslim male. Okay. Right, did I say incorrectly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um, now, so th that's kind of some of the sides where it does overlap. But where it's clearly going haywire uh, is that in its individuality. So part of liberalism is individuality, at least in modern times. And individuality, again, Islam is not an only... Uh, is not only uh, societal societal driven, uh, where family is absolutely everything, and therefore um, it, it, it's all about the family, where it becomes like tribalism. Mm. Islam isn't like that. Uh, it's not to that extent. But at the same time, it's not to the extent of the left, where it means nothing. Your family is just... It, your family, that's it. It, it means nothing. Like, and you're kind of there, yeah. right? And 18, I'm gone. Bye. You know, my parents don't really play much of a role after that. Um, or a parent might see that my role with my children does not go beyond 18. Uh, and to the Muslim cultures, I and mean, that's just nonsense. I mean, a parent is still a parent until, you know, as, as one lady told me, she's in her 70s, she said, I still discipline my 40-year-old children. <laughs> you know, I... That, that's how we work. So, now, as a result of individualism, and I'm being, I'm being very oversimplistic mm -hmm. here, as a result of individualism, um, uh, it, it, it erodes ethics and morals. How so? Well, part of family is the transfer of principles. It is the family... Who the mother and the father who teach the children principles. That is eroded when the role of parents is eroded uh, or is diminished. Likewise, parents transfer 
um, I don't want to say culture, transfer um, identity to the children. And identity isn't just who you are, but rather where you come from. And those memories uh, are meant to teach us certain things, principles. Mm-hmm. And Allah says in the Quran, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبَرَةٌ الْأَلْبَابِ In the stories of the prophets are lessons, morals. So we talk about history. And thus Islam has a goal of uh, acquainting us with our religious history. Not our ethnic history, but our religious history. With the purpose of deriving lessons and morals. The individualism could care less about that. They don't care where you come from. They could care less about the memories of the past. What, what, what this nation was built on. They don't care. Right? Uh, and, and that has so what do they care problems. About? What's that? What, what, what is like individual? I guess this is like individual to the extreme? Or? Yeah, so this is extreme. Yeah. Right? This is extreme. So what, is, what, is, what, is, what do they care about? They don't care about the past? Where you come from? They, they care about the inner self. So like your desires? Um, so it's not just as simple as desires. The inner self is about discovering the self. Who am I? Right? Now, again, Islam talks a lot about who you are. And part of the concept of ibtila being tested is that it reveals your inner depths. Right? So the idea of the inner self is not something strange to Islam. Where Islam is different than the left in this regard in liberalism is that in liberalism, the source of the self is pretty much the self. The source of the self is the self, meaning I need to determine who I am. In Islam, it's not you who determines who you are. It is Allah who tells you who you are and who you should be, right? Um, And so that fits more into kind of this notion of a structure. There's something external to the person that is structuring and forming the person. In liberalism, it's not external, it's internal. And so that's why desires... So you go every which way you want to go. Pretty much, right? That's why, desire, that's why the left are desire-driven, kind of in the Samic use of this word, mm-hmm. desire. Um, and so without the parents, I mean, the parents are kind of the primary or one of the primary mediums of transmitting this right of, of retaining this in Islam you also have the community the masjid is a place of worship but it's also a center for the Muslim community and what you find a lot in our times is the following we always hear about the scenario on Facebook posts and whatnot some young man or some young woman wants to go to the masjid to pray okay and as they are entering they enter the prayer hall and some grumpy uncle or grumpy auntie starts criticizing this person. Who are you? I've never seen you before. Why are you dressed like that? That's wrong, etc. This happens a lot. Right? Your drip's not on point. What's that? Your drip is not on point. Yeah. You know, your hijab, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, there's a piece of hair coming out of your hijab. That means you're going to hellfire. I mean, it's sometimes this extreme, right? Um, and so you have this happen. Now, that auntie, that uncle is wrong for doing what they did. And this young individual has been dealt unjustly. Um, however, what happens with those who are affected by this individual individualism ideology is that they 
will go back and start saying, how dare you? I'm never going to the masjid again. Who are you to tell me this and that, right? Mm -hmm. Now again, no doubt the auntie and uncle were wrong to do that. But at the same time, right, there's one or two possibilities here. Either the one telling you you're doing something wrong is right in their advice. They're giving you correct advice. Mm -hmm. And if it's correct, now you have something to improve yourself with. Or they're incorrect. And if they're incorrect, now this becomes a moment where you get to train characteristics that are integral to our Iman, such as forbearance, patience, being kind to the one who's rude to you. And these are prophetic characteristics that are important to the health of a person's Iman. Right? And so character, principles, and ethics, and morals in Islam is more than just virtuous behavior. It's more than just externalities that we do to get reward. It's also about disciplining the heart in a way that shapes the heart um, in a manner that will help, will provide a place for healthy iman. And so the parents play that role. And the parents discipline. The parents say, you're wrong in doing that. That's kind of their role. And if we allow that, Right, and assuming the parents are good, because of mm -hmm. course there are toxic parents as well. If we allow that, then the child grows up into something, you know, disciplined, a disciplined person. And they are able to be more successful because of that discipline. But if that's, if parents are now excluded or cut out from the picture, you have many problems. And this isn't just me kind of theorizing here. Uh, studies indicate this. Studies show that um, children who are raised in a single family home, you know, they're missing one of their parents, are more likely to develop um, social deviance or mental illnesses than someone who has both parents. And I believe the statistics were 30% more likely. Or 30% of those who live or are raised in a single parent home, 30% of them end up developing either social deviance or um, mental illnesses. So it's very serious. And what do you mean by social deviances? Uh, pretty much uh, illegal behavior. Oh. Right? They're more likely to be involved in, in gangs and drugs and uh, uh, illegal behavior. Uh, that's what social deviance is. Uh, and so going back to the kind of the topic here, why parents have so much right is to allow that, that, that uh, uh, dynamic. It's not just about respecting parents. It's about also putting ourselves in an environment that disciplines us in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel like parents usually, it's always one way, it's give, give, or like say, 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 but never the opposite. There's never, um, how do I put this? Even if they do something wrong, they're like, don't do it. But then it's obviously, if it's wrong, you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's hard to follow. So is there like rights that children have with their parents? Or? Of course. Right? Children have rights over their parents, and that includes that the parents financially support them, provide them with a place to live, um, and give them clothing. Mm. Right? Uh, that's kind of the, the essentials. They're responsible for that. Um, likewise, you know, the parents are responsible, for, Islamically speaking, for fostering a, an, an environment, a home environment that is healthy for their iman. So Allah says, Ya nara." O you who believe, um, protect your, your family and yourselves from the hellfire. Right? So parents are responsible for 
disciplining or or um, helping their children reach paradise. Hmm. Right. So you have that as well. So my thought is like, from the parents' point of view, raising children. Like, w- is is it more of like, oh, make sure you have like a little like Bismillah poster or whatever? Or what is that? Because usually my my grew up, it was a lot more a lot more strict. I feel like a lot more strict. But sometimes I feel like a lot of people that grew up in that strict environment deviate. So is there like a healthy balance, or is it just? Well, I think when it comes to the Eastern cultures, it's not that they're. I don't think the issue is their sternness or their strictness. Hmm. I think the issue is, is kind of two elements that don't really work well together. The that strictness with the openness of of our society. But if you are living in a much more um, much more conservative society that strictness is kind of the normal it's not just the parents who are disciplining you you know as I've spoken to elderly people it's it's also your neighbor who kind of is seen as having a similar role um, the the guy the, the the guy at the convenience store is also there kind of keeping an eye on you and that that was kind of expected and so everyone who's elderly was kind of your father. And every lady who was elderly was kind of your mother. Uh, and so it, it fit together. And it was kind of a, the standard way of parenting. Now you just have an entire spectrum, inspired entire spectrum. Um, you have parents who could care less. You have parents who are very, very loose with their children. Buy them whatever they want. Let them go wherever they want. No questions asked. And then you also have the opposite end. So when our parents came here, they continued to retain the standard way of raising children that worked in the East. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't fit with the Western environment. Right? Um, it doesn't do much. So it's not that they are the, the way they are doing it is wrong. It's just that it's not effective in terms of our environment here in the West. So do we have to try to change our environment? Do we try to be in a more... I mean, it's going to be part of both, right? How much of the environment can we change? Um, and so you just kind of have to deal with it. Do whatever you can. I don't, I don't think we can really change the environment. Let's just face it here. Mm-hmm. We're not going to convince people to start wearing, uh, you know, revealing clothing. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? And so these conversations need to be had. That's true. I have an interesting thought, probably more of a dumb thought, but do jinn have rights over you? Yeah. Really? Yes. Um, so the Prophet tell us, tells us that uh, do not use bones or rauth. Rauth is the dung, the poop of a cattle. Do not use those two things to wipe yourself after using the bathroom. Why would you use dung? Well, back in the day, man, if whatever they had, <laughs> so, right? They didn't have bathrooms like I we have today. They just kind of go in. What is it? I guess to fight fire with fire. <laughs> no, it, it would be. My guess is that going on trails and whatnot, some of it hardens. Okay. Right, and, and so it, it is hard enough to remove anything that remains. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess yeah, they didn't have toilet paper, so. And imagine back in the day, right? They don't have toilet paper. They don't have bathrooms. They just kind of they're walking outside. They just mm-hmm. find a place and they go use themselves. Uh, go and reveal them, uh, relieve themselves. So what happens when you do that and you forget to take a rock with you? 
<laughs> or you you don't have any rocks around you. That's true. Right? What are you gonna do? Or leaves. Uh, you don't have any leaves, and you're in the desert, man. That's true. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ tells us not to use these two things. Why? Because they are the food of the jinn and their cattle as well. Oh. So the jinn eat bones, I guess. Um, I don't know how that works, but they eat bones. And their cattle eat the, the, uh, the dung of, of our animals. So in order to... Uh, and the Prophet ﷺ says that jinn, our, our brothers from the jinn, so the believers of the jinn. Mm -hmm. If I'm remembering the, the wording of the hadith correctly. Um, and, and so, yeah, they have r that right over us. Um, do they have like any other right? Well, what other rights can we offer them? That's true. We don't see them, right? We don't engage them. We don't interact with them. Because my sister would, she would love like every like once a month she'll show me like she'll go on this crazy tangent of watching um like people in, like Saudi Arabia or middle of the desert like somewhere uh, isolated and they'll go like these houses that are like haunted by jinn, and they'd run around recording videos, and like walls would slam. This would happen. I always thought I guess you're not supposed to go there. Like you're yeah. supposed to give them the privacy, but it's not. Well, the jinn aren't allowed to enter our realm or affect it mm -hmm. like that that is their their obligation but can they they could okay i don't think they could do it freely now i think there are some physics what we call physics that uh need to be present in order for them to enter our realm if that's the right word to use uh, and so it's kind of like going outer space you can't just leave the atmosphere mm. freely right there, there are certain ways you can leave uh, in certain ways you can re-enter, I think. Um, and so perhaps, perhaps, I'm just theorizing here that the jinn cannot just freely enter our realm and affect it. There are certain portals, po certain um, methods um, of doing that. Right. But it can happen. I've heard of many stories. Uh, but they're not allowed to do that. that, mm -hmm. that they are sinning by doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those jeans that are like closing the door, shutting the blinders. Yeah. It's probably fake or is it could be real? I, I mean, maybe the, the videos are fake, okay. but it, it's definitely possible. They're scary. Well, it would be scary, man, if all of a sudden you're seeing doors slamming and stuff like that. No one's home. Mm -hmm. um, Some high octane content. I yeah. love it. It's the heart pumping. That's interesting. Makes you theorize then. Jin. So, so I'm guessing like bla with black magic, is that like... So, so is that what would jinn already out in this in this other world? Like they, they affect stuff. Well, uh, I'm not. I don't know too black much magic about uses black jinn, magic. Right? Well, yes. Okay. It, it requires jinn, and again, I, I haven't done too much research about this, but from what I gather, I, I think black magic is pretty much a a way of the jinn using certain forms of radiation or energy that are toxic to the human being right um and so just like uv rays can be poisonous to the individual mm -hmm. i think the jinn either have access know about certain types of radiation that they can manipulate and use or they themselves emit a type of radiation or energy that is toxic to the human being so you know how some animals can sense fear mm -hmm. They can sense that the person or the, the, the one up front of them is, is afraid, right? So perhaps the jinn have certain um, abilities to, 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 to sense uh, uh, what emits from us and to manipulate that, right? So I'm, I'm just throwing out kind of random theories that, that could be plausible, theoretically speaking, mm -hmm. in, in terms of radiology or whatever the science would be.
Uh, and I think that's what really black magic is. And so it has the ability of manipulating the mind, just like drugs have the ability of manipulating the mind. And what is it really? It's either introducing certain dopamines or, or hormones or whatever to the, to the body, yeah. and now it's causing hallucination. So perhaps black magic is the jinn introducing certain things uh, to your body that is now affecting the body in that way. Mm -hmm. Now on topic of drugs, uh, do you know what ayahuasca is? No. Do you know what DMT is? No. Okay. So for all the Joe Rogans out there, uh, what's it called DMT is this drug that uh, it's a hallucinogen, but people that take it, um, they completely change afterward. Like they have a crazy trip trip experience that they've. They, they say they can't even describe it in words of what they've seen. And ayahuasca, like a tribe in South America, like that's what they call like the little like drink they make. So you drink it and people say you see like these almost like jinn, all these, these spirits, these entities, and it completely changes somebody. And I remember, I forgot who, I was watching a podcast and one person, before he was Muslim, had ayahuasca and through, I guess, like seeing what he saw and like learning about Islam, learning about Islam, what they have to say about jinn, he's like, yo, that, that's a connection, this makes sense. So you think like people that take those drugs, like they could see jinn or like is it like does, does it like broaden like your field or well i, I think the jinn can you, reveal you, themselves okay. in a physical form that that is perceivable but again i don't think they can do that at free will mm. um but i think it's possible and i've had i have heard of people i have no reason to think they're lying i mean uh who said that they have seen jinn now jinn don't have a, a specific form but they can shape into a particular form so that's how they can shape themselves into a human being that's how Iblis did it. Okay. Um, and so maybe they can see, come out in a physical form, but it, it's, it's not, they don't have a concrete form like us. I will always see you the way you are. Right? Mm -hmm. and there might be some, with time, aging and whatnot, some changes, but you are what you I are. I am me. Right? You are you. Um, but the jinn aren't like that. They don't have a particular form. They take the shape that they want to. Uh, and so it is possible to see jinn. And then I guess so. Same thing. But with I don't think a drug can do that. A drug can do that. I guess that. Right. And what do they see? What do they hallucinate? They're hallucinating, right? That crazy, like stuff they've never seen before. How can your brain Maybe. hallucinate stuff you've never seen before? But how do we dream about things that we've never seen before? But have we seen them before? I mean, when you see a someone in your dream, a person. Yeah. You don't know who they are. They know. You know, like they pass. Like people say, oh, like you're walking down the street and you pass by somebody you don't really know, but your brain like picked up there. But I guess we Maybe. never know. I don't know. Because for a gene, I'm not sure. relatively, like, you, you, you kind of know what everything is. Okay, that's a person. Like, you could have seen that person. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a tree. That's a... Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I guess we just got to try to find out. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> you can find out, man. Let me know. Uh, or you see YouTube it. Trip to South America. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I'm get, uh, then what about, what about animals? Because animals, unlike us, they can... I don't know if they could see, but I know they could hear more than we can. Like, at least a wider of a spectrum. So the jinn speak in a certain spectrum we don't hear, and maybe they hear it, or... Maybe. Maybe it's a different sound line. Um, different sound waves that we don't hear. Allah subhanahu wa says they see us from a, a place we don't see them. Uh, and, it, again, is their realm in our realm? I mean, are they living the same realm as us, but due to... Uh, wavelengths and uh, light restrictions. and these things we don't see them we don't perceive them just like we don't hear a dog whistle it's possible right or we don't feel the air when we touch it um, yeah I mean it's possible even though it's there 
uh, or do they live in a dimension, a different dimension that overlaps our dimension? I'm not talking about a multiverse here. Mm -hmm. but I'm saying that based on physics, they are in a different dimension, a higher dimension of, of uh, functioning and being. Okay. So something similar to playing a video game. If we were to assume those in the video game are actually real people, right? we are in a higher dimension than them. They're 2D or 3D. Even though we're in the same kind of existence. Mm -hmm. So that's possible as well. Allahu alam. I remember seeing uh, a TED talk about this. Uh, it said um, there could be fourth dimension beings all around us, but we have no idea. Because they, they made an example. A, uh, a two di let's, say, let's say there's a being that's two dimensions, a square. And there's a bunch of other squares and polygons and triangles and whatever. No. But because there are two dimensions, they only see straight. And so they only see a line. So their whole life, they, they don't see the shape of people. They only see the line. Because somebody mm. comes up to you, all you see is just that side. Right. And they perceive death being like, oh, this is closer, this is farther, that's it. Yeah. But then it was, it was talking about how if a, th a three-dimensional being, like let's say, let's say a flying three-dimensional being comes and picks that square up. And then he picks it up and then the square, instead of seeing everything from this, uh, like the x-axis, he's picked up and he's looking down. So he sees the whole grid. He sees like an x and y. And he sees, oh my God, he's a square, he's a triangle, he's a this, he's a that. And he, and the, the being uh, third person places him back down and then he, uh, he looks around and he tells people oh you're a triangle you're this you're that people talk, oh you're crazy this is what we see this is how we are so I get, I get where you're coming from yep to think so again th this is just theorizing yes. here uh, all I seek to do is to show that the, the whole concepts the whole concept of jinn and their magical right capabilities uh, are not beyond science theories within physics right uh, they're not beyond what physicists have, have been, been contemplating and, and discovering. Right? I'm not trying to prove anything here. I'm not saying this is it, but rather just the fact that it's, it's not beyond our scope of, of imagination. It's true. I, mean, I had a thought, but I forgot about it. It was a good one. It'll probably come back to me later. Yeah, well, don't leave the audience waiting, man. That's true. That's got to think of something to say. Mm -hmm. Um... I guess, yeah, so we talk about, you don't know much about black magic, so we screw that. Yeah, there's a lot of videos out there from experts and whatnot. But that's good content. Black magic is good content. Of course, man. If so you want, if you want the youth, you got to talk about either gin or marriage. And marriage. Mashallah, everyone will listen. Yeah, actually, marriage, why not? We have a lot of time. Sure. So, marriage today, how, how long ago was it when you got married? I got married in 2013. So, okay, so, so it's not that long ago. Seven and a half years ago. Seven and a half years ago. Was it a difficult process for you? It was uh, stressful mm -hmm. because now you kind of have a lot more responsibilities and now you're kind of getting to learn a new person and readjusting your life to include them mm -hmm. and they're readjusting their life to include you. Um, so that takes uh, a few months and But what about the process of just getting married itself? There's nothing easier or than getting married in Islam. Literally, this is the easiest thing in the world. In Islam, but yeah. in the culture we live in today, inside you live in today? Well, we make it harder for ourselves. So what? So is it like certain, and Islamically speaking, only for Islam, are there certain like benchmarks, certain like areas you have to hit before we're eligible to marry? Can anybody marry or is it like how easy is Let it? Me, there is no, there are no conditions to getting married. That's, uh, just uh, assuming that the man doesn't already have four wives. Okay. Right? or the woman isn't already married. I mean, that's really the only condition. Um, aside from that, it's just how do we foster a healthy marriage? 
Uh, and this is where people really in the West just they slack, they slack. And you, know, you have all these books and research written about marriage and how to have a successful marriage and whatnot. And you know, they're all, it's all credible and good. Right? But I could summarize it for you in, uh, in two things. If you could do two things, I can almost guarantee you you'll have a good relationship. Both spouses okay, do both two spouses. things. Right? I could guarantee you, almost guarantee you that your relationship will be successful. What's the um, secret? What's the, what's the magic secret? It's not really a secret, man. It's just doing two simple things. Number one, get over yourself. What do get you over yourself. Meaning there's another person in your life. Include them. You no longer are by yourself. You cannot just do what you want. Mm. There's another person. You can't just go, when you're hungry, you can't just go eat from wherever you want and forget about your spouse. That's what it means to get over yourself. It is okay to have to consider your wife's feelings, your husband's feelings, before going out with your friends. Most of these young people, they just want to go hang out with their friends. And the spouse, get, the wife gets mad. No, why are you going? Why are you getting mad? These are my friends. I want to go out with my friends. Mm -hmm. Well, she's getting mad because, well, isn't she part of your life? If she feels... That you are, that she is part of your life. She's not going to give you a word or two when you go out to chill with your friends, right? Uh, and so, if you want a successful marriage, both a husband and a wife need to get over themselves. They're no longer living a life that revolves around the self. It is now about two people, and when the baby comes, it becomes about three people, right? And mm -hmm. you have to adjust your lifestyle to incorporate that. You have to. Spend time with your spouse. You have to. I mean, isn't that like... You, you think know? it's a given. You think that. But on the ground, you'd be surprised at how many young individuals have, not, have yet to develop that maturity. Right? So number one, get over yourself. If you could do that, you, you're halfway there. The second thing is be kind. Be kind to your spouse. Smile. Say you look lovely today. I'm happy to be with you. It's free. Mm -hmm. It's literally free. <laughs> and it will build a beautiful relationship. Yes, there are toxic people out there. But in my experience, this is just my experience. I'm not looking at research. I'm just looking at my own experience with people. Do you counsel? Do you right? advise? Sometimes, you know. Okay. I'm so not, you have some I'm experience. Not, I have some experience. I get emails. Mm -hmm. right? Most of the time, bad marriages are the result of the guy... Who just doesn't want to say a good word to his spouse. Literally. Most of the cases are exactly like that. That come mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Is it, is it like there's a problem and then like the beginning or like the root of the problem was that? Or is it just that? So the root of the problem is the personality of one of the two spouses. Or sometimes both. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm talking about in general. What, what comes to me specifically. Right, is the husband... Is, has yet to develop a certain amount of maturity that is necessary for a healthy relationship. And sometimes this goes on for 20 years. Right? And it's not that the husband is a bad person. He's not a, a toxic person. He just does not express himself. He does not have strong communication with his spouse. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about what you see in these movies. Or learn how to communicate right? and look at each other eye to eye. And this, that might work, 
All I'm talking, what I'm talking about is, wow, you look good today. We think it's something small and irrelevant, but it, it means something. It's not about literally her looking good. I don't think that that what's the what that that's what the wife hears, or she cares about, but rather that you're actually looking at me. I, I have a place in your heart. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when guys come to me complaining, my wife does not stop nagging. Right? I talk to the person, kind of get a conversation, get a feel of who this person is. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it goes back to this guy not giving her enough attention. I'm not saying he gives her attention and she's just being stubborn. That is on her. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about he doesn't give her much attention at all. It seems so simple. It mm -hmm. seems simple. But I guess I'm not married, so I don't really know. No, no it, it's, it is simple. But a lot of times, it's the personality of the guy that, that's not, it's a part of their personality that's not developed. Mm -hmm. It needs to be developed. So it's been like, so kind word and try to like, almost, not put them above yourself, but put their needs before your own? Like it's not, it's about putting their needs before your needs. I and mean, you, can, you can find a balance there. Yeah. Right? It's just about letting understanding that this person is part of your life mm -hmm. whether you like it or not you got married to the person you chose to enter this marriage they are part of your life and it's being kind you know some 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 people will literally hold their spouse accountable for every little thing hey, why do you do this where were you when you come back home earlier why this why that why that etc let's be kind you, you can save yourself a lot of the stress just by smiling, saying, welcome home. It, you have no idea. Um, you know, the Prophet ﷺ says, the best wife, talking to the men, the best woman, the best wife, is a wife when you look at her, she, 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 you smile. When you look at her, you smile. So what does that really mean? It means that her presence brings you an amount of joy. And I'm not talking about you start jumping up and down. Yeah, that, that, that's just all artificial. Mm -hmm. But you feel comfortable around her or around him. How does that come about? Well, if you, if the guy enters the home and sees his wife smiling, just that, well, welcome home. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. Something as cliche as that. Mm -hmm. But they do that while smiling. You have no idea how much joy that brings a husband. They, they like coming home. And if when the husband enters the home, he smiles to his spouse, his wife, and says, Assalamu alaikum. She will love every time he comes back. That, that is a successful, that, that is a healthy marriage, let me put it that way. That is a healthy marriage. So get over yourself and be kind. And if you're not able to get over yourself or you're not able to be kind, the problem is with you. The problem is the person. Right? And you'd be surprised at how many people it's difficult for them. Is this and subliminal? Like they do without, without realizing? Sometimes, or? yes. Again, a lot of times the guy is, is not a bad person. It's either... They just this part of their personality hasn't been developed much, right? or that they have been through a difficult time, and now they have an amount of resentment, uh, and they're the taking spouse. it out. 
uh, they're taking it out, out of the spouse. Okay. So what happens sometimes a person gets divorced and the one, the, 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 the lady, let's say the wife, really was the, the, the one more at fault here. No marriage is one person's fault. Mm -hmm. It's mo normally both. Um, let's just say the, most of the blame is on the wife. Uh, sometimes the, the guy develops a lot of resentment to where he becomes anti-women. Right? He, he's just against women. And so when he remarries, it's, he's kind of taking all of that out on this new spouse. Right? Um, and unfortunately, that other lady, the second wife, now has to deal with that, that baggage and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that can happen. Um, but again, if the guy does that, I understand it's coming from resentment, but that's still a weakness in personality. You got to get over that resentment. And the Quran you know, kind of teaches the companions, get over it. Forgive them and overlook them. Just pardon, not forgive, pardon them and overlook. Just continue with your life. Um, and that's very important. The, the, the ability to let go of grudges, of resentment is very important. Not only to just personality, not only to the health of the family, the health of the self, but also to a person's iman. When a person becomes obsessed with their resentment, with their envy, with their jealousy, their entire life becomes centered around someone else, not around Allah, or mm -hmm. coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for, let's say, you want to get married, or you're getting yourself to get married, like, like these things you want to work, what are, the, like, like resentment or getting over it? Getting over grudges, if you have grudges, trying to get over that. Is there anything other personality traits or personality uh, or habits young people could do before they get married just to make sure they don't... Well, where are these habits? That? Where are you going to develop these habits? Like, let's say to, like um, you, you have a grudge between your coworker or your friend or your peer. Mm -hmm. Like, you train it off that. Like, okay, grudges are, cause a yeah, grudge yeah. is a grudge. Sure. Is there any sure. other, like... Or you just got to... Well, personality developments, um, where I'm at in that, and I, just my very, very facile understanding personality development is really it cannot be internal you cannot just tell yourself to be a kind person mm -hmm. you have to learn to be a kind person through experience yes you can start with the intention i intend to be to do to do good today i intend to be kind today you could start with that but the intention can only take you so far mm -hmm. you need a place where you can actually do it you need a place where you can actually work on it you need a a, a, a field right where you can a, a field where you can actually do this and that field is society it could be your family it could be your community it could be your co-workers etc mm -hmm. but you need other people in order to actually enact it and so this goes back to what we're talking about community when you're part of a community Right? And with the example of the, the grumpy auntie or the grumpy uncle, right? if they're wrong in what they told you, well, now you have the opportunity to actually develop these things. And so to have the maturity to deal with a grumpy person like that in a good and effective, meaningful way will require you to let go of your own ego. Mm -hmm. Because if it's about the ego, oh, you hurt my feelings, how dare you? Right? That's the ego talking now. But if the person learns to let go of the ego, that only then can they actually respond with kindness. So I guess you just got to wait for people to be like... You got to actually be involved in the community. 
you got to live life. Not in the <laughs> not in the Western sense, right? Mm-hmm. You got to live life in terms of you got to be with the people. Work minimum wage job. Work at Burger King. <laughs> to that extent, right? But you got to be part of a community. You got to be part well, of. I'm saying like those experience help. They they help, right? Because I work currently. I work I work part time security, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're always gonna get those guys oh, and people. Oh, I have somebody literally say to me, "I pay I pay you like I pay your your bill." Mm-hmm. Because it's like the community pays the management company mm-hmm. like fees, and then the management company pays the company that pays me. Right. So you just so gotta learn how to how to take that with a smile. That's true. Right. You gotta learn how to take that with a smile, and that goes a long way. And you, your spouse is upset, frustrated. You gotta learn how to take the punch, man. Mm-hmm. And and that's something noble. That is a noble thing. I'll give you an example. Batman, The Dark Knight, man. Mm-hmm. Watch the movie. Yeah, great yeah. movie. What happened at the end? Which one? Dark Knight. Dark Knight? Is that the Bane one? No. Joker. Joker. What happened at the end? The last he, scene. He, uh, is, is that where... I don't remember. Is that where the Two-Face was made? After that happened. After he died. Like go Rachel? Spoiler word, right? Oh. <laughs> now, what, what did Batman tell um, the commissioner? I don't remember. Right? He told the commissioner, tell the, the police department, tell the people, I'm the one who killed Harvey. Oh yeah, I remember that now. Why? So it doesn't look because they depend. On the, they yeah. depended on Harvey. They saw him as the White Knight, mm-hmm. right? And he went bad. He went sour. He went rogue. He became a criminal. And so, if society saw this White Knight fall, that was Joker's plan all along. Mm-hmm. Right? That was that was the ace card. So, if the society saw this man who was perceived as noble and righteous, right, fall and become a criminal. It would destroy their hope in in what righteousness can be and what what um, uh, integrity is, and so instead of society seeing uh, Harvey as being the criminal, Bamet said, "I will take the blame, so that that hope stays alive." And the commissioner said that they'll hunt you down. He said, "I will be what Gotham needs me to be. If I need to be the punching bag of Gotham to keep Gotham safe and healthy, I'll do that." That's what makes him a hero, mm-hmm. right? And that's what the prophets did, really. When you look at these very developed superheroes, you see a lot of the principles they follow go back to the prophets. Um, and so the prophet, Sam, was willing to take it, to take the punch, to take the words, and be patient with that. Why? In order to present the message. Mm-hmm. That, that is prophetic. So when the spouse has the maturity to, to take the... the um, the frustrations, absorb the frustrations of their spouse, even though they have nothing to do with it, and not answer back, not get upset and frustrated and reply. That is that is a hero. That's a that's an attribute, a trait of a hero. Right. So something that we should strive for. Okay. So every time a bastard transfer, we should take it as a not all oh, this guy is so terrible. It's a way for me to get better. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, I guess I guess it gives you more of like um, it makes bastard trans not as bad because you think. It will actually help me develop because I never thought about it that way. I always thought about you know, sometimes you have to deal with just people that are just mm-hmm. not to use a term, but a word that starts the A. <laughs> but I guess okay, I guess it's better for me then. Yeah, I guess good place. Allah says, Allah tells us, look, be prepared. You're going to hear vicious statements and words from, you know, your enemies. You're gonna hear it. Mm-hmm. So. Be prepared and take it. Got it. It's about getting them to paradise. Right. I guess that's a good place to end off. 
Right. Thank you guys so much. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa